Here's our series on aging in Portland. Retired or rewired? What it's like getting old in a youth-centered city. Are you up for that challenge? We'll bring you lots of views, but you'll have to answer this question for yourself. Is Portland a good place in which to grow old? Episode 5, The City's Vision for the Elderly. This is the fifth in KBU's series on what it's like to age in Portland. We call it Retired or Rewired. Today we're speaking with City Commissioner Nick Fish and activist on Elder Affairs Jay Bloom. Commissioner Fish has served on the City Council since 2008. He leads the Bureau of Environmental Services and the Portland Water Bureau. Among many other roles, he's council liaison to Elders in Action and the Age-Friendly Cities Program. First of all, thank you for having me on today. Thank you for being here. You have a reputation here in Portland among the people in gerontology and the people who work with older folks as being interested in this subject. Is that true, and why is it if it is? Well, it's true, and I'll give you a complicated answer. Things normally have a personal story, so... My grandfather, who was quite a character, lived to 102, and he married his fourth and final wife when he was 100, and at the wedding, he announced that he had married the love of his life, which did not sit well with my father, who still remembered his mother, and um, Grandpa was vital and active and engaged, literally until the day he died. So I would say that it starts with probably a role model of someone who lived a full life. And I used to ask my grandfather, what do you attribute the secret of your longevity? He said, everything in moderation. And although there was very little about his life that points to moderation, um, he didn't drink a lot. He was a good athlete. He paced himself. But he was walking literally until almost the end of his life. Fast forward, when I came to Oregon, when my wife got a job out here teaching, Ted Wheeler asked me to serve on a committee and we produced a report on the vital aging process, and Jay Bloom was the consultant. And Boy, I learned a lot about the whole process of aging, and one of the things I learned is that Portland is so well-poised to be a destination for older adults. And as older adults come here because they like the quality of life and they want to retire here, all that social capital comes with them. And so we view, locally, we view this in-migration of older adults as a huge plus to our community because they can be mentors, they have so much to give back, they're super volunteers. Many people choose to live downtown because of the cultural amenities. And then of course, fast forward, I've been the council liaison to Elders in Action the last uh, number of years. So I've been in the trenches with people thinking about how we make this a more welcoming and accessible place for people of all ages and abilities. So yes, I, I have a passion for issues involving older adults and I have a lot of history that I can draw upon. You were one of the people who shepherded the idea from the beginning of the Portland Age Friendly Program and the city's admission is the one of the first cities in this. Yeah. How were you involved and what happened with that? Well, there was a wonderful group of people locally, uh, folks like Alan Del Toro and others who were you know, very involved in this movement who did a lot of the heavy lifting. The city worked on it. I was working with uh, my colleague, George Hawker, uh, who was very engaged in these issues. And we applied, and we I think we were the first city to get that designation as an age-friendly city. So we're very proud of that. Out of that came an action plan, 
and some focus on some things we could do uh, over the next 10 or 20 years to make this a more accessible city for older adults. And I've been working on that action plan ever since. Uh, have there been specific outcomes from the action plan, uh, improvements that have been made? Well, I'll give you one example. One of the things I did when I was housing commissioner is um, we saved about 1,000 units of at-risk housing that were downtown where there were federal subsidies that were about to expire, and the owners could then throw everybody out and convert their buildings to condos or whatever they wanted. And we developed a plan called 11 by 13. It was um, to preserve 11 buildings that were home to older adults than disabled between 2008 and, and 2013. And I'm pleased to report to you that we saved every single building, got them all transferred into nonprofit ownership, and then put in covenants protecting the tenants for the next 60 years. I've noticed that uh, the age-friendly program seems to be languishing somewhat. Uh, the, an indication, I went to the website, and there's the calendar. There's a calendar on there, but it has nothing on it. Is there some gap in this program now? Is there some lack of in energy in it? Well, it's a fair comment, and, and let me put it in context. At the city, we've had a series of one-term mayors, mayors who've served for one term and then moved on. So that makes it harder to have continuity uh, around a whole host of issues. And what I'm uh, looking to is Mayor Wheeler, who is a, a real champion on these issues, to declare in our budget process and some of our policymaking his priorities so that it's woven through everything we do. And I think that's why there's been a little bit of a gap. But this mayor is one of the strongest on these issues that I've served with, so I'm, I'm very hopeful about the future. What we are trying to do, though, is create a baseline so that every year we take on a new issue and we try to move the ball. And the goal is to be a city that is welcoming and accessible to people of all ages and abilities. It means we're going to build playgrounds to the specifications of Harper's Playground so that any child, no matter what their barrier, can play. It means thinking about all of our facilities through the lens of an older adult that may have a sight issue or, or may have a mobility issue. If we're a city that welcomes and embraces children and older adults, then we're also a city that's doing pretty well by everyone else. You mentioned elders in action. You were one of the people who shepherded that into its importance from the very beginning, I believe. Well, I'm the council liaison. So when I got council elected, liaison. I said to the then mayor, I would like to be the person on the council that has the direct relationship with elders in action, kind of created this portfolio. And that means that um, I look out for their interests at budget time. I participate in their events. I'm a resource, and we do a lot of collaborating. I sense that they don't really have a, a home here in Portland in the sense that your endorsement or support of them has been good, but there's no place where they reside that gives them a permanent position in the community. Yeah. So that's a fair comment. Plus, we've seen in the last couple of years, they've gone through some growing pains and they've also restructured themselves. Uh, let's, let's, I'll give you a concrete example. Elders in Action is funded at the city through the Office of Neighborhood Involvement. I, I'm not in charge of ONI. Um, Commissioner Udaly is. But as the liaison to uh, Elders in Action, you know, I'm keeping a close eye on the budget and making sure they're treated fairly. There has been a budget cut proposed of 50% of what we give them, and I can't support that. 
and I won't support it, and I don't think the council will. If we want to restructure the relationship, if we want to think about a long-term vision of how we work together differently, I'm, I'm all for that conversation. But I will not support a budget cut this year. The work they're doing is too important. And if people want to have a conversation about making them more inclusive and even more effective, let's have that conversation without cutting their budget. I visited the well, Hollywood Center. I'm sure you've been there probably many times, the Hollywood Senior Center. I was there just the other day for a campaign forum. I was very impressed at the level of activity. While I was there, there was guitar class or a ukulele class and writing class and uh, assistance on tax forms and yoga, chair yoga, five other things. But it seems like a facility that's kind of worn at the edges, not something that I would have expected in Portland. Uh, not the level of first-class treatment that I thought I would find in terms of the physical facility, is that I haven't been to all of the senior centers, but I, I suspect that that's a really good one. Why is it that it's not getting that level of investment? Well, I don't want to pass the buck, but that's a they have a relationship with the county, not the city. I agree with you that it, it, it could use uh, an updating let me give you an example, though, of where the city has taken a different approach. So, for example, when I was Parks Commissioner, we welcomed Meals on Wheels and other programs that serve the needy into the, uh, into the uh, parks uh, uh, facilities to serve meals to hungry people. And what we got in a number of them was older adults coming out for a lunch, a healthy lunch. And um, when we built, uh, when the city invested and built out the East Portland Community Center, it actually has a room dedicated for older adults. Um, so we can be intentional in some of our facilities and make sure that people feel welcome. The thing that I'm concerned about is social isolation. What happens as we grow older, and particularly if we lose a loved one, is there's this greater risk of, of social isol isolation that leads to health consequences and other things. So how do we get people out of their apartments, out of their homes? How do we get them to spend time with others and, and, um, and become social? Uh, and there's a lot of things that we can do. One of the most inspiring that I've heard of recently is something the Asian Health and Family Center is doing with our help, that is the city's an investor out in Lentz. They're building a, a new community center for the Asian community. They're calling it the House of Love and Kindness. And I think we should name all of our public buildings Houses of Love and Kindness. I, I just love that. There will be a room, there will be a floor in the building that will be dedicated to people that are dealing with chronic illnesses like cancer, where they'll be invited to come in and have the company of others and support services. And I've already told Dr. Zato, who is, um, Zito, who is in charge of this nonprofit, based on my experience with cancer, I want to be the first volunteer who signs up and goes in and spends time with uh, elderly Chinese Americans who are struggling with health issues, but whom we want, to, want, we want them to come out. We want them to feel loved and supported. And he's, he's building a community center around that vision. And to your point, uh, these all should be welcoming places. They should be modern. And um, I, I think the Hollywood Center is, do, is due for an update. Isn't that a private facility? 
No, and so the city through the oh. our, our urban renewal agency put a lot of money into it. I see. So they're building some housing and they're building a community center, and we put public dollars into it because we we think their mission is so important, and so we are one of many public entities that invested, and it's because it's such a high performing organization, because they do such a wonderful job serving the Asian American community, and it's in a part of the city that often felt left behind. So we're full participants. We were speaking earlier about the different reasons that people come to Portland to retire, that older people come here. Do you see Portland as a good place to retire, and do you see that continuing in the future? You know what? Um, Tom McCall, you know, famously was the mayor that that wanted to discourage people from moving here. Portland should be the city that encourages people to come here, particularly older adults. We look at the in-migration of older adults as part of the key to our long-term success. And so we want our city to be one of those places that's that not only has a big sign saying, please come, we welcome you, but we want to capture the value of the people that are coming here. I think Portland can become a showcase for a city that's livable and that welcomes older adults. Sometimes it seems to me, and I've only been here a year, but it seems to me that this is a better place to retire to than it is to be retired in, in some respects. You're talking about the phenomenon, for example, of people who um, sell their home wherever they raised, you know, grew up and raised yeah. their family, then use that equity to come in and, and, and plant their flag here in the city. Right. Um, and, and we're seeing a, a bit of that. I'm not sure I can generalize other than to say that we want this to be an affordable community. That's one of the things that could discourage people from coming here, a housing market that's not serving the needs of middle and working class people and older adults on fixed incomes. Uh, We want to be a city that is healthy and invests in the quality of life that we all want. You know, if we do our part right, then people will continue to either come here or age in place, and it will be to our great advantage. Do you think that those policies to expand housing are actually hurting the elderly people in the city? It's such a complicated subject, but here's, in a nutshell, the the concern that I have. Over 95% of the housing that the market is delivering is not affordable to seniors on fixed income, formerly homeless people, entry-level workers. Frankly, even uh, working class and working families, it's not affordable. The market is producing a lot of units at the high end, and you know some people argue that you know over time that's good for the marketplace. Mm. In the short term, it means there are too many people being priced out of our city. And if the private market isn't meeting that demand, then that's uniquely the role that government has to play. So we have to step in, and we use a combination of carrots and sticks to encourage people to build affordable housing that everyone else can live in. The president's budget proposes to zero out all the programs we currently use to subsidize housing, uh, the home program, community development block grants, all these programs. I mean, it's a, it's a disaster. Congress won't, won't go along with that, but it speaks to the, uh, President Trump's values. The challenge is there's so much need. I mean, we estimate there's uh, over 24,000 units of housing for people below 60% of median family family income. So people of modest means, we're short. The market isn't meeting that need, so we have to use our toolkit. And even in a good year, we don't add 1,000 units. 
And if we don't get in front of this problem, we're going to continue to displace people and we'll see more people falling into homelessness. We're not unique. Every city on the West Coast is dealing with this. But let's maybe be the city that solves this problem. Let's be the city that makes a long-term commitment to fixing this imbalance. So what are some of the ways to do that? Number one, um, we passed a law. uh, We lobbied for the legislature to pass a law allowing us to mandate a a percentage of affordable units in all new development. It's It's called inclusionary zoning. It's now the law, so all new buildings that are going up must have a certain number of affordable units, and that's legal. Number two, we have programs which offer incentives to developers that if they set aside a certain number of units that are affordable, we'll give them tax breaks or subsidies as market-driven programs. That's something we should do. Number three is we should continue to put our general fund resources and urban renewal dollars focused on housing that the market isn't serving. So people that like older adults on fixed incomes. Number four, we've got to lobby our members of Congress to continue these federal programs, which provide us tax credits and, and, and dollars, without which we just can't you know, meet the needs. Number five, we need to establish firmly the proposition that housing is a human right. What I just said is still a debatable proposition. I believe housing is a human right. Once we agree on the proposition that housing is a human right, then we bring all of our tools and all of our resources to the table to help tackle this problem. Um, Not everyone agrees with that proposition. I do. And that's why I think it's our number one challenge facing our community. Uh, Commissioner, anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Well, I will say this. You know, I'm now in my 50s. I have been experiencing a pretty significant health challenge. I've seen how the healthcare system works and doesn't work. I um, am uh, cognizant, I'm, I'm more aware of some of the barriers that people face in their lives. When I put cancer behind me, I'm going to spend a good part of the rest of my life advocating for people that don't have a voice around chronic health issues. Um, insisting that the federal government step up and do its part, insisting that we have affordable and universal health care for all, um, fighting this idea that those of us with pre-existing conditions go to the back of the line, fighting to make sure that we're not shut out of things like life insurance markets so we can't provide for our families. My personal experience has, has changed my thinking on a number of things. Um, so as I chart the next 50 years of my life using my grandfather as my model, I have a lot of public service I want to do, and I want to devote a lot of it to standing up for our older adults. Well, we appreciate your being here. I I would just say, and I'd like to hear your comment on this, I think of Portland as a world-class city, a world-class place. But I I don't know that the emphasis is there to make it a world-class place for older people and to recognize that the growing kind of demographic and how important that will be in the future. I hope that can happen. I hope you have the support you need in, among other elected officials to get that kind of emphasis. Well, I mean, look, um, <clears throat> older adults vote in the elections. They have a lot of clout at the ballot box. Older adults are well organized in our community. Um, the AARP is a, is a smooth running machine in terms of getting its message out. Um, 
The case has been made as to why it's in our own self-interest to welcome and embrace older adults. Um, so I'm an optimist. And as I grow older, you know, I will bring my own personal experience to this conversation. But I, um, I think we're heading in the right direction. And I serve on a council with a mayor who has a really terrific track record of supporting older adults. So maybe I'll say some of our best work is yet to come. But I, I am a generally an optimist. And I think Portland can be a model city for older adults. Um, we have to be intentional and we have to be persistent. Um, but I think it's within our reach. I'm going to make that the last word. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor to spend some time with you. What a pleasure. Jay Bloom is a consultant and coach active in elder affairs in Portland. He served as the director of the Task Force on Vital Aging, and he's currently on the board of directors of Engage Northwest and Wisdom of the Elders. Jay, welcome to KBU. Thank you, Tom. Jay, tell us your organization and what you do. Well, I'm semi-retired. Quite a few years ago, I started a consulting practice referred to as Bloom Anew. And I do executive coaching and community consultation, as well as a fair amount of volunteering in the community. So you yourself, you're not retired, right? I, you know, I don't really believe in that concept. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I came up with is, unless you're engaged in your later years, you're just dying longer, not living longer. Is Portland a good place to retire? I would say uh, Portland and Oregon is a good place to grow old. Uh, we were a pioneer, the state was, in uh, in-home care rather than uh, uh, institutional care. We got a Medicaid waiver some years back that incentivized dollars being used to keep people in their own homes to age in community rather than institutions. But we pioneered the concept of death with dignity, uh, which gives options uh, at the end of life. And frankly, the quality of life here is very good. Uh, so, yes, I would say uh, it's a good place to uh, grow old. You were involved in the origins of something called the Age-Friendly Portland Multnomah County Movement. Is that right? Yes. I, I think I first was engaged formally uh, about the same time when Ted Wheeler was just elected as Multnomah County Chair, now our current mayor. And I helped staff what he called a task force on vital aging. And it was a year-long blue-ribbon group that uh, was looking at what were best practices for engaging older adults by employers, as well as best practices for civic engagement. Around that same time, the World Health Organization began an effort called Age-Friendly Cities, and I was asked to be on that advisory uh, committee the first time it was formed. We've interviewed Margaret Neal and Alan Delatore. Uh, what have been the major accomplishments of the um, age-friendly movement? Has there been any development uh, that's come about or any kinds of facilities or more concrete things? There have been efforts and progress by employers. For example, was Portland General Electric developed a, tra a knowledge transfer process where they recognized that older adults were often retiring with informal knowledge that they wanted to capture. You had CH2 Hill Engineering create a 
program for post-retirees. The Oregon Community Foundation started a program called Boomers with Babies. What's the current agenda? What are they trying to accomplish? Uh, much of this work up till now has been volunteer-driven with not a whole lot of financial dollars. Uh, Ted Wheeler now is mayor and the city council have now invested close to $300,000 in this current budget year and age-friendly, and I think that will be sustained going forward. So they're starting to get some resources to put on an annual conference, get a more vibrant website, as you said, and uh, some other efforts. Where's that 300000 going? Into the website and the conference, or what uh, else? Well, one of them, uh, at least two-thirds of it, is going to an organization called Metropolitan Family Service, which is piloting using older adults in the Sun School model. Sun stands for School Uniting Neighborhoods, utilizing older adults in schools, helping individual students. And that's being piloted now in three different schools in the Portland region. Intergenerational transfer. What should the, the city and the county be doing to think proactively about what seems to be an explosion in the elderly population that's about to occur? Well, I don't know it so much as an explosion, Tom. I do believe it's a, it's a gradual increase and it's going to continue that we're not only the folks here are aging, but we're having an increased number of older adults move here. Well, you know, where's the kind of the, the new facility, the next generation of facilities that features intergenerational transfers and more stuff to do for th many more thousands of people we're going to have? Yeah, we haven't developed those yet. I think in the future you may see actually public schools being those those locations. I'm a former school board member quite a few years ago in Massachusetts, and I can tell you, you really can't afford the capital in buildings for 180 days part-time and keep those buildings up. And increasingly, I think schools will become community centers uh, that will involve all ages in lifelong learning and computer labs and intergenerational exchange. What should we be doing that we're not doing? I think we could be highlighting the variety of ways that older adults are engaged in giving back. And there are organizations such as Metropolitan Family Service, SAGE group, uh, SAGE stands for Seniors Advocating for Generational Equity, doing excellent work. You've got Encore Fellows is another program that's there, Bridge Meadows. There are a number of organizations, Elders in Action would be another, where they're using uh, older adults in a variety of creative ways. What is a SAGE group? I hadn't heard of that one. It's a relatively new group. It has been started since the age-friendly movement uh, came to Portland. It stands for Seniors Advocating for Generational Equity. One of the founders of that was Ward Green, a local attorney, who felt that there were a number of older adults who were concerned about the future of, of young people, particularly around issues of education, economic development, environment. I sense that there's um, a, been a history of trying to address this problem and make Portland a great place to be retired. But I don't sense any feeling that there's a big growth surge coming or uh, that this problem is becoming more important. I sense that it's sort of business as usual and we have committees and work groups and task forces and so forth. Is there Are there specific things that need to happen or should happen? Consciousness raising is one. 
Employers need to be thinking increasingly of how they can utilize flexibly this, this resource and communities to think about how they can utilize this in a more creative way than we have in the past. Jay Bloom of Bloomanoo. Jay, thanks for joining us today and thanks for what you do. My pleasure, Tom. In the next episode, we'll be talking with Drs. Margaret Neal of the Portland Institute on Aging and Alan De La Torre. They've been part of the effort to make Portland internationally known as a model city for the elderly, and they are both experts on the complicated issue of housing the elderly. Be sure to join us. You've been listening to our series on Aging in Portland, Retired or Rewired. You can listen to any episode in this series or the entire series if you go to kboo.fm and look for the show under my name, Tom Flynn. Thanks for joining us today.